you're listening to the North Richland Hills Baptist Church Sermon Audio Podcast. If you'd like more information about our church, go to nrhbc.org. So, interesting passage in the book of Ephesians. You've got to remember the historical context to really understand what's going on. About, I'd say anywhere from 12 to 15 years after those words are written, you begin to realize how much the Gentiles and the Jews hate each other. They despise each other. As a matter of fact, when the Romans, when the Romans finally get tired, the Jews revolt. And the Romans come in, and they just sack Jerusalem. They slaughter it, which, okay. But then they did an unusual thing. Two years later, you find 969 Jews in South Judea on a fortress called Masada. Herod had built it in case he ever got in trouble with Rome. There's only one way up when you go to Israel. There's this snake path you can take, which when you get to my age, you're taking the tram car. So we take the tram car up, but when you get up, it's this massive fortress on this mesa in South Israel. There's only one way up, and so these 969 Jews got up there. They left Jerusalem, probably pulled in some people from Qumran who wrote the Dead Sea Scrolls, and so they get up to the top, and the Romans hate them so badly that after they sacked Jerusalem, they chase these guys 70 miles. Remember, they don't have cars. They're walking 70 miles with equipment because they hate these Jews so badly they want to slaughter them. So they get down there. In 72 AD, they finally get up to the top. They've had to build a siege ramp. It's taken them a long time. Matter of fact, when you stand on Masada, you can actually look at the four quadrants of the Roman guidelines down there. And so they're, they finally get to the top. So when they bust in the next day, they're ready. And they're met with this eerie silence. Nothing. They begin to walk through the top. Nobody. But as they begin to get in, they find all sorts of bodies. Everybody is dead. They've decided the night before that they would commit mass suicide rather than allow the Romans to have them because they hated the Romans as much as the Romans hated them. Now, you need to understand that to understand why he wrote what he wrote. Paul, remember, was the apostle to the Gentiles, not the Jews, which kind of makes no sense. You would think with his giftedness, he'd be the guy to go to the Jews, but he's not. He's sent to the Gentiles because what he did, he went into all these Gentile cities like Ephesus, and he would go to the synagogues, well-known preachers, so they asked him to speak. He'd go into the synagogue, which was composed of primarily Jews, but some Gentiles. He'd talk about Psalm 22, Isaiah 53, Isaiah 7, 14. He'd walk them through the Old Testament, and a number of Jews would get saved, and a number of Gentiles, and then they'd start a church composed of mainly Jews, some Gentiles. And in time, more and more Gentiles would come to Christ because Ephesus, Gentile town, 
And pretty soon now, now they're like us. Don't read Bible people like they're different than us. They're like us. Pretty soon, they've got issues. They've got worship issues. They've got committee issues. Because these groups don't like each other. And now they're in the same room. And remember now, how many churches in Ephesus? One. You can't leave and go down the street to Second Baptist. There is no Second Baptist. So you're stuck. If you're a Jew, you're stuck with these nasty Gentiles. And if you're a Gentile, you're stuck with these goofy Jews. So you are caught. And it was a problem even for the Apostle Peter, because in Galatians 2, the Bible says he's actually sitting, having a hot dog with some Gentiles. When some Jews come in and he gets up and says, I, I don't know why they're here. <laughs> Bible actually says Paul walked up to him in his face, that he got in his face and said, what are you doing? So here's why he wrote it. Now, I'm going to be careful here, okay? I know what you do here at North Richland. I understand. So don't be upset with me when we walk through this text. And I'm going to apply it the way I've always applied it whenever I preach this text. I've preached it before to seminaries because I want our kids coming out to understand why we struggle in our churches. So listen carefully. 2.10, he says, we're his, literally in the Greek, poema, poem. We are, to the world, God's expression of who he is. Okay? Now, watch this. Now, he's going to walk you through a metaphor about the temple. That's really what this whole thing is. Now, the temple, when you walk into the temple, if you're a Gentile, you could step. There were basically four courtyards, Okay? Every one of them had a wall. Now, if you're a Gentile, you could walk into the first open area, and you could go in there as a Gentile, male or female. This is the area, as a matter of fact, where Jesus did the kick the money changers out. So you could get into here, but there's a sign right here. There's another wall right here. There's a sign that says to the Gentile, don't go past this wall. We'll kill you. Now, if they got killed... No attorneys back then that could handle this. So the Gentiles stayed here. Now you walk into this next court, it's court of the women. Women could only go in here. They can't go any further. Go into another courtyard through a door. There's a court of the men. Jewish males could come in here. And there's still, when you go to Israel and you go to the Temple Mount, you still have a male section, a female section. They don't meet each other. They don't cross. You went through that courtyard, you went into another last courtyard, an open area called the courtyard of the priests. In that area, there was a built-up kind of shed that had a door, and when you walked in, it actually had a veil. And you walked behind the veil. Now, it wasn't here in this day, but in the old days, we lost the ark in Jeremiah's time. But when you walked in, there was the Ark of the Covenant, High priest went in one day a year. It's actually true. They tied a rope to him in case he failed because one day a year God came down in his response to offering the blood sacrifice. And that one day a year is the only day he walked in there real carefully and he came out real carefully. He did not 
stay in there. So, listen to what he writes. Verse 11. Therefore remember that he's writing to the church at Ephesus, you were Gentiles in the flesh who were called uncircumcised by those circumcised with hands. He reminds them, he says, look, they used to call you an uncircumcised. In other words, you are a non-Jew dirty people. You were at that time without Christ, alienated from the citizenship of Israel, strangers from the covenants of the promises, and you had no hope and you were without God in the world. I mean, you can't get worse than that. He tells him, he says, look, you had no hope. The Jews at least had some hope. They had the covenants. They had the promises. They knew who he was. They knew what he expected. They had the blood sacrifices. They had all that. You had absolutely nothing. But now, now watch this. I didn't write this. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near in what the blood of Jesus now there isn't anything in the entire universe more valuable more precious or richer than the blood of Jesus Christ on that cross we agreed there you sure all right. So the blood has brought us near to the Holy of Holies. For he, who's that? Okay, this is not a hard question. You look like my seminary students. I ask you something, they go, I, I, I don't want to answer. Who is it? He's our peace. What's he talking about when he says our peace? Who's us? Jew and Gentile. He brings us together. He's our peace. The one who made both, how many? One. He took, he destroyed the middle wall of perdition the enmity in his flesh, the law of commandments and decrees, he nullified. In other words, these walls were built up by his law, which is absolutely true. If you're a Jewish male, you can't jump in here into the Holy of Holies. If you're a priest, you can't go in the holies. Only the high priest for a moment, once a year. So all these walls in the temple were built by the law, but Jesus... In his blood, now listen, okay? In his blood, he dissolved all the walls. They're now gone. On the day he was crucified, what was ripped apart in the Holy of Holies? The veil. Everything's been done, why? In order that the two might be created in him into one new man making peace. And he reconciled both, how? 
in one body to God through the cross by having killed the enmity in himself. And he came preaching peace to those who were far away and peace to those who are near. Why? Because through him, we have access, both of us, in one spirit. And here's the Greek. Face to face with the Father. Now, listen. I don't do small stages well. So the blood of Jesus took the Jew and the Gentile. It dissolved this wall between the Gentiles and the women. It dissolved this wall between the women and the men. It dissolved this wall between the men and the priest. And it tore out the veil. So now, Jew and Gentile can walk all the way through, step into the Holy of Holies, and stay in there as long as they want. Because they both have, Jew and Gentile, access to the Father in one spirit. Why they both now, because of the blood of Jesus Christ, possess the Holy Spirit, and in that spirit they have a face to face encounter with the Father. <clears throat> so the Father, through the blood of the Son, implants His Holy Spirit so we can experience the Father as long as we want in the same room. <clears throat> I don't get to... I don't get to rebuild courtyards... And I don't get to declare time. I don't get to get in there and when some body comes in and go, wait a minute, I've got my time with God. No. Anybody can come in at any time and spend as much time in this Holy of Holies room where they meet the Father not one day a year, but meet Him every single day that they choose. You sure that's an Amen. Okay, here we go then. If that's correct, do I have the right to rebuild courtyards? See, it gets real quiet. Everybody's going, I don't know that I want to answer that. Based not on what I think, but what on the Scripture just said, do I have the right to rebuild courtyards. <clears throat> so when I go to Georgia, I'm at my church. I've been there in Bryan maybe, I can't remember, 10 or 12 years, but we're going to see my mother-in-law, and I get this phone call from a church in Georgia, and they said, hey, we, we want to talk to you about being our senior pastor. So my wife and I, it's like 10 miles from my mother-in-law's house, no big deal, so we drive there. We, we drive up to the church and it's one of these if you know anything about the south it's an antebellum church and the parsonage is gorgeous and as we're driving into the drive my wife goes I feel called here <laughs> so we get in and we sit down with the uh, pulpit committee and you can tell you know when you got this pulpit committee you can tell they, they're, they're kind of 
came on around. They're ready to ask you the one question they really want to ask you. So sure enough, they looked at me, and they finally said, so Brother Chris, uh, let's suppose that a black man walked the aisle and wanted to accept Christ. What would you do? I said, well, I'd lead him to Christ as best I knew how. And then they looked at me and said, well, would you have to do that in the sanctuary? Couldn't you do that out in the parking lot? So I was pretty sure we weren't going there. (laughs) They were still building courtyards. I'm in Bryant College Station, I don't know how many times in 33 years there, I remember a cowboy church would spring up, which basically said, we, we don't hate urban people, but we want to wear blue jeans, we want to wear cowboy hats, or western attire, we all have the same, so we're going to build a cowboy church out here. And then I remember this young college student came to me and she said, she was out of my church, she said, Brother Chris, I'm joining another church. I was wondering if the church would finance me in my ministry there. I said, well, what are y'all doing? She said, well, we're starting a church that's only for college students. Matter of fact, when you get out of college, we're going to ask you to leave and go somewhere else. I said, I, 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 don't, I don't think so. So, we can't do courtyards, right? And yet, all across the country, there are churches that build courtyards. Now, let me ask you something. Seriously. Let's take off all our spiritual stuff. You're Timothy. You're pastoring the church at Ephesus. <clears throat> You've got Jews and Gentiles. Now, let's think this through. When the Jews and Gentiles first joined First Baptist Ephesus, because I'm sure it was Baptist, do they wear the same clothes? See, it's always these hesitant. Uh, I, I think the answer is no, but I'm not sure. No! If you're a Jew, you had a three-piece suit on. If you're a Gentile, you had skinny jeans and a shirt like this. So they're not going to dress the same. They're going to like the same music? No. No, Jews, Bill Gaither. Gentiles, Lady Gaga. (laughs) So they're not going to have the same music. Same style of preaching? No. Jews had these rabbis that went forever. Long didactic sections worked through the Scripture. The Gentiles, remember, there's no Internet. There's no really anything. It was the speakers. The Gentiles had guys like Cicero, all these guys that were just great orators. You see the division in Corinth. You got people like Peter, people like Apollos, people like Paul. So, do you think? Now, seriously, come on. They're like us. Do you think Sunday to Sunday there was whining going on? I don't like the preacher's dress today. I don't like the way he sang. I mean, it would be divisive. Now, let's suppose some enterprising deacon came to Timothy and said, look, 
I know we got a lot of griping and a lot of whining. I can fix it. Do what? Here's what we'll do. We'll have a 930 Jewish service. Everybody dressed the same. Preacher dressed like everybody there. Their kind of music, their kind of style of preaching. We'll have an 11 o'clock Gentile service. Do you think Paul would be okay with that? See, it's a little quieter now. Do you think Jesus is okay with that? That we could divide our churches and ignore the efficacy of the blood of the Savior. And yet that's exactly what we do all across the convention. We don't divide Jew and Gentile anymore. We divide old and young. We have our contemporary service where the young people go and our traditional service where our older people go. And we've created our own courtyards and patted ourselves in the back and we have denied the efficacy of exactly the blood of Jesus Christ. We have become, and now we exhibit, the ultimate failure of the Jewish nation. We think they failed because of idolatry. No, 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 no. That's not why they failed. They failed because they never passed their faith on. There were two generations, Joshua's and David's, that did it right. They never passed their faith on. And Israel wound up in exile. We're not passing our faith on anymore in our churches because we've created new courtyards. And you're missing your chance to impact. I talked to my daughter yesterday. She said it was fine with me sharing with you, but my daughter uh, went through A&M, came up here, taught school, and in circumstances I can't explain, I can't really detail, she became pregnant, shattered, crushed, single. So she wound up going to my son's former church uh, in the area. But when she went to that church, she didn't go to her peers. She went to the senior adults in the church, went to their Sunday school. They loved on her, cared for her, were there through the birth of her son. A couple of couples even shared with her, look, we went through this, and we married, and we've been married for 50 years. They loved her. the hardest part of her life. And she didn't go to her peers. She's now married to a godly guy 
in the woodlands, building a godly home, attending First Baptist Woodlands. But she was able to recover from that episode because a group of adults who had been through her life changes ministered to her. We've created courtyards in our churches that have hindered the ability of the legacy of pass, passing our faith on. So let me just encourage you. Maybe it's time. Once in a while, maybe even once a month, you go into the next service. You sit down with a young couple you don't know. You worship with them. You sing their songs. You listen to their sermon. And when the service is over, you look at them and say, listen, can we take you to lunch and invest in some couples you don't see because we can't pass our faith on when we're in a different worship service, different life group, and the only time we meet people is when we pass them in the parking lot. We have been wrong to create courtyards the Bible does not authorize. His blood has made us one, and we've turned our churches into two. So maybe it's time to find some young couples and embrace them because you have been through what they are entering. They need your wisdom. They need your legacy. And you're the one that needs to make the change because you're the one that's known Jesus longer than they possibly could have. Maybe it's time we redid the courtyard idea. Thanks for listening to the North Richland Hills Baptist Church Sermon Audio Podcast. If you'd like more information about our church, go to nrhbc.org.